Know what's going on? This is Corey Homicide Williams. Bronx is in the building. And I'm listening to On The Board Sports Podcast. You can put it on the board. Yes. And welcome back to another edition of the On The Board Sports Podcast. I am your host, Will Trucci, a.k.a. Will C., coming to you from Long Island, New York. And I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Sean T. Sean, how are you, bud? Well, I am doing good on this very nice and warm Tuesday. How are you doing, sir? Hanging in. It's quarantine life. But we have a very special guest with us today. Joining us is a New York Jet legend and a University of Alabama legend as well, along with being the chairman of the Marty Lyons Foundation. We are talking about the one and only Marty Lyons himself. Marty, thank you for coming on. How are you? Well, you know what? I'm just like everybody else, staying at home, trying to get that curve flattened out. Uh, I've been out of working remotely at home for 28 days, so... You know, it gets tough at times, but when you turn on the news and you see all the people on the front line, the doctors, the nurses, the volunteers, you really realize that uh, they are today's heroes. They're the ones making a difference, and they're putting their lives at risk for us. So we have to do what we can, and you do really start to reflect and appreciate uh, all the gifts that you are surrounded with and how fortunate you are to be in this situation that you are. And even though you're staying at home, you're healthy. Yes, and that's the main thing. And a quick shout out to all the essential workers out there, doctors, firemen, cops, nurses, EMT workers, grocery store workers, the construction worker that's going out there and doing his thing, and countless other essential workers as well. We just want to say from On The Board Sports, thank you for being who you are and sacrificing, you know, doing doing the impossible right now at this point and making everything possible for the greater good of humanity and for the world. So thank you for the essential worker. So just wanted to give uh, the essential worker their quick shout out there. Uh, Marty, real quick here though, uh, you know, how did you get into football and playing football? It's really an interesting thing. I know that you played and you started up in being at the University of Alabama, playing for Bear Bryant and being with the New York Jets. But where did that love for football start up for you, Marty? Well, I think it really started back in high school, and uh, believe it or not, I didn't like the game back then and really felt like quitting because we had a coach that, you know, he was an old-style coach. He wore the bike coaching pants and the high socks and carried a clipboard, and clipboard really didn't have notes on it. It was used to hit you upside the helmet, and, you know, I, one day I told my brother Dan, I said, you know what, I'm done. I, You know what, I've just had enough of it. And he said to me, that, you know, if you quit now, you'll continue to quit the rest of your life. And I went back to practice the next day, and I had to get another coach by the name of George O'Brien that he really saw more in me than I saw in myself. So he started writing letters to different colleges saying, maybe this, I think this kid can play at the next level. And then by the time you're a junior and a senior, you know, you start to have those coaches start to recruit you every Friday. They're sitting in the stand and you know, believe me, I came from a small school. I only had 26 players on my team. And to get recruited by the University of Alabama and Tennessee, Florida, Florida State, and to go and make that visit to all those schools 
and only have one coach say to you, son, I'll give you the opportunity to play here. And if you're good enough, you know what, we'll see what happens. And that was Coach Bryant. Everybody else was making promises that uh, I don't know if they could have kept. So I went to the University of Alabama and it wasn't easy. You know, you start over as a freshman and you work your way up and then, you know, you're surrounded by good people and very talented athletes because Coach Bryant had to pick up the litters, you know, around the country. And I went there as an All-State player in three sports, football, basketball, and baseball. But the guy next to me was football, basketball, baseball, track. You know, so everybody was a three-star athlete. And Coach Bryant said that uh, one, in our very first meeting, he said there was four things I want you to accomplish while you're here. He said, number one, always be proud of your family. Number two, always be proud of your religion. Number three, get an education. Number four, if we have time, let's try to win some football games. And, you know, to only lose six games in four years and be able to play for the Jets for 12 years, I, I, I'm very fortunate. Yeah, Marty. And, you know, um, it's one of, uh, of those things. Can you just talk to us more about being able to play for a legendary coach? Like when you think of the sport, you think of the Bear, Bryants, and, you know, the Lombardis. Can you just talk about how I was playing for the years that you did with him? Because he's one of, if not the best coach to coach this uh, sport. Well, you know what, Sean, I don't think you really can appreciate playing for a quote legend while you're playing for him. You realize the value as soon as you leave. All those life lessons that he talked about and he prepared his players to, you know, be successful businessmen, be successful in their community, be successful fathers, brothers. Those were all the values that Coach Bryant taught us that when we left the University of Alabama, and for me, my last season was 78, there was so many life lessons that he prepared me for that when it happened, I go, wow, that's what Coach Bryant was talking about. And I think that all the players that played for him as a sign of respect, you don't ever hear any of his former players saying Bear Bryant. It's always Coach Bryant because he deserved that amount of respect and he was just a special person in my life, you know? He was like, you get there as an 18-year-old, you, you have a strong foundation, but you gotta build the building. And he helped us build, whether it was a one-floor building, a two-floor, three-floor, for those that only played four or five years in college, they had a strong enough foundation to be successful. So I think he prepared each and every one of us to go on and play that bigger game, to play the game of life rather than football. And you mentioned it, Marty. It's just absolutely unbelievable. You played for nearly a decade plus with the Jets, and you go out there and you're on one of the greatest defensive lines probably ever in, in the National Football League, even Football League history. But nobody really talks about the New York Sack Exchange that much because they, you, know, you were there. You got to experience it. Uh, what was it like playing with such greats such as Joe Klecko and Mark Gastineau and Abdul Salam and even those 80s Jets that really didn't go over the hump? They were still remembered as still one of the, one of the better football teams in New York sports history. 
Well, you know what, Bill? We went out there, we played hard every Sunday. And when you have two guys on the outside, one in Joe Klecko, who should be in the Hall of Fame, and the other in Mark Gastineau, you know, you can't double team both of the guys coming from the outside. And I was fortunate because I was wedged right in between Joe and Abdul Salam. And if Joe looked at me a certain way, I knew what type of move he was going to make. And if he was going to go on the inside and put pressure on the inside of the tackle, I had to loop around and take containment. But I think a lot of the credit goes to the front four, but the guys in the back, if you don't have the linebackers, you don't have the secondary that allows you the time to get to the quarterback, you're not going to do it. So all the credit went to the front four, but we had a pretty good unit on that defensive side of the ball. And, you know, you're exactly right. You know, we never made it to the Super Bowl. We made it to an AFC championship game and we lost to Miami 14 to nothing. And we made it to uh, another run and we lost to Cleveland in double overtime. But, you know, those experiences that you have with the guys in the locker room and the friendship that you built with them, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago now that still exists. You know, I count myself fortunate, blessed that I was able to you know, take God-given tools and be able to chase a childhood dream, make it become a reality and still be a New Yorker, you know, and still be up here as part of the Jets organization for 41 years now. That's right. And Marty, uh, is it possible for you to just indulge more on just being a Jet and what a Jet meant being to you? Well, I think as you grow up as a kid and you want to play the game of football and then you get the opportunity to play in high school, and then you go to college, you win a national championship, uh, you're selected to represent the University of Alabama by being an All-American, and then you come up to New York, the media capital. And I remember the first meeting that we had, the first photo op, it was Walt Michaels, myself, and Mark Gastineau, and it was our rookie camp, mini camp, in 1979. And Walt looked at both of us and he said, hey, the name of the game is get to the quarterback. And my first year, I was kind of playing out of position. I was playing as a defensive end, and I was more of a defensive tackle. The second year between Walt Michaels and Dan Sakanovich, a defensive line coach, they switched, Joe and I. Joe went outside, I went inside. And to me, I felt that that was a better position because I was lined up over a guard, and I could read the tackle or the center. And if the guard had a lot of pressure on his fingers, you knew one thing, he was coming straight off. If his fingertips weren't as, you know, compressed, he kind of glanced real quickly at the, the guard or, I mean, at the tackle or the center to see which guy was going to block you. And then you had two choices. You either beat the down block or you come across the guy's face. And all that was just reviewing film after film after film, watching the tapes every single day to get – you know, ready for the game on Sunday because on Sunday you can't think about what you got to do. You just got to react. That's very, very true. That's very, very true. Uh, Marty, we all know the great things uh, that you did on the field. I want to talk about the great things that you and your foundation are doing off the field. The Marty Lions Foundation. Can you just tell and everyone, how did that uh, start? and just talk about the great work that you and everyone else does. Well, Sean, it goes back to what I said earlier about Coach 
by preparing you for the game of life. I went in after we played in the 1979 Sugar Bowl and we beat Penn State to win the national championship. That next day I flew out to San Francisco to play in the East-West Shrine game. From there I went to the North-South uh, Senior Bowl. When I got back, I started to go to classes, but I wasn't registered. So I was going to classes and, you know, I had not gotten my schedule approved, so it was time for me to drop out of school. And that was the worst thing I had to do is tell Coach Bryant. So I went in there and I explained it to Coach Bryant that uh, I was a point in my academic uh, year that, you know, I, I, I was going to, I was so far behind in classes, it was my best interest to drop out of school. And Coach Bryant looked at me, stuck his hand out, and he said, well, promise me one thing. One day you'll come back and get an education and finish up your college degree. So I shook his hand, and he said, I want you to remember this. You'll be very fortunate. You'll play a game you love. You'll build financial security for you and your family. He said, but a winner in the game of life is the person that gives of themselves so others can grow. All right, so... He told me that, Sean, and it went in one ear and out the other because it really had no meaning in my life at that point. Right. <laughs> but in 1982, my oldest son, Rocky, was born on March 4th. My dad suddenly died of a heart attack on March 8th at the age of 58. And a little boy by the name of Keith died of leukemia, who I served as a big brother to on March 10th. So in a matter of six days, you go from the ultimate high to the ultimate low. You're left asking yourself, why me? You start questioning everything that you believed in, your faith, everything, you know? And all of a sudden, you know, a month would go by and I woke up one morning, looked at the reflection in the mirror and I didn't like what death had turned me into. And I remembered that saying that Coach Bryan said, a winner in the game of life is a person that gives of themselves so yeah. others can grow. So here it was, that example was Coach Bryant was saying, hey, somewhere in your life, you're going to be tested. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to run or will you do something about it? So I reached out to a teammate of mine, Kenny Shroy, and I said, you know what? I'd like to start a foundation for terminally ill children and children suffering with a chronic life-threatening illness. I'd like to take their greatest wish and make it become a reality. And he used to say, I'm, I'm with you. So I got licensed in the state of New York as a 501c3, had no money in the bank, told people what I wanted to do. And the next thing you know, we started raising money. And now 38 years later, we've, uh, we've sponsored over 8,000 families. We've raised over $35 million and we operate in 10 states. But it's a difficult time now with what's going on with the world, this coronavirus. We've had to cancel uh, three uh, fundraisers. We had, to, we had one postponed. So we're about $300,000 to $350,000 behind the eight ball now trying to raise money in, in 2020. Uh, we're very fortunate that we have people like Mike and Maureen Ryan and Ed Ryan who they own the Lantech Group, who I've worked with for the last 20 years over the Easter holiday. They said, hey, you know what? We're going to make a contribution to your foundation. Amazing. So 
it's important that we all take time to reflect and help those that need the help, especially those victims of coronavirus. But I think it's important too to remember the nonprofit world because we're all getting banged at the same time. Right. That's so true. That's so true, Marty. True words we've ever spoken there, and especially during this uh, unbelievable time right now that we're in. You know, guys always think about you know the people that are out there just doing doing what they're doing right now, and you know it's just absolutely crazy. Marty, to just get back to the to the football world here for a second, uh, I know that you played at Chase Stadium back when you were younger, and then you played at Giant Stadium. What was it like playing at Shea for you and then going over to the Giant Stadium? Well, I love Shea Stadium because it was, a, it, first of all, it was natural grass. And early in the season, you got to play on the clay. You know, they had the clay infield. All they did was shave down the mound. That's the right. fans were outstanding. We had a home field advantage because you had the planes coming over. And anytime, <laughs> whether it was there or over at the Meadowlands, uh, you know what, you can take a home field advantage if you win, if you win enough games. You know, and I remember the game that we played in a wild card against the Buffalo Bills, and unfortunately we fumbled the opening kickoff and they took it back for a touchdown, and we were down, you know, a quick six to nothing. They kicked the extra point, you're down seven to nothing, and we're 10 seconds into the game. And then when we made the comeback at the, at the end of the fourth quarter, I remember seeing those stands rocking. They were moving, the temporary stands in the outfield. And, you know, unfortunately, we came up a little short. But, you know, the New York fans have been tremendous to me for the last 42 years. And I can't tell you what it meant to run out and you hear them chanting your name or J-E-T-S. And you took time to identify with them. Free agency didn't exist. So... You know, you had your own fan club and you stayed there because there was nowhere else to go. And unfortunately, now that with the players moving around and around, I give them credit because, you know, you have the right to work anywhere that you can get paid more money. So I'm happy for the players. But unfortunately for the fans, they don't get to identify with the, uh, the players like they used to. You know, they have their private parking lot, so they pull in, they come out. Whereas over at Shea Stadium, you know, we parked outside the Diamond Club and we would walk out of the game and you'd have to walk through the fans to get to your cars. And you stop and you have a go to a tailgate party, you have a beer, have a hot dog, you sit and you talk and you got to identify with the, with the fans. And I thought that that was so important. You know, I, I tell the story, my first speaking engagement up here, um, I got booked for a uh, speaking engagement. It was a beefsteak dinner over in Brooklyn. And the guy tells me, he says, hey, when you get here, just come through the back. We don't want any other people to know who, who our speaker is. So I go in there, and he gives me my check. I stick it in my, my coat pocket. I look out and it's all giant fans. You know, they had booked the wrong team or the wrong person. And I walked out there and before I could even take the microphone, I was getting booed, you know? <laughs> These guys wanted a giant player and here I was representing the Jets and I quickly told him, I said, you know what? I'm not here as a Jet player. I'm not here as a giant player. I said, I'm here to try to give you and your kids some advice to, to help you become better people, better parents.
And I said, I just want you to know I have my check in my pocket. And if you don't show me that respect, I'm going to leave and I'm going to cash that check tomorrow. And <laughs> the funny thing about it is, uh, you know, that's 41 years ago. I am still friends with some of those people, some of those fathers that were out in the audience. Because wow. when the speaking engagement got over, I took my jacket off. I rolled up my sleeves. I told some football stories. I had a couple beers with the guys and, you know, let them know that because we're professional athletes, we're no different from them. We're just a little bit fortunate, more fortunate that we had the talent. We were in the right place at the right time, but we're no different from them. That's so true. That's so true. 100%. Excellent. So, Marty, you're talking about interacting with the fans, as we know. Next week, the draft is here. The Jets, everybody's saying tackle receiver, tackle receiver. As we know, 7-9 last year. Coming into this draft and into this season now, just talk about what you think the expectations are for the team. And number two, which direction do you think they should go? Do you think they should go blind receiver or uh, something else? Sean, I think they're going to pick the best player on their board. If it's an offensive lineman, that's great. They picked up four new ones during the free agency period. I still think they need a skilled player, skilled player on the outside. You know, they got Perriman. That's going to be good. You got uh, Jameson Crowder in the slot. He had an excellent year. But you still need another weapon for Sam Darnold. I think that this is going to be the year that we can judge. Adam Gaze and Joe Douglas. Last year, they weren't playing with a full deck. All their players or key players like C.J. Mosley, you know, Avery Williamson, they got hurt. You know, C.J., you know, got hurt in the first game. Avery Williamson got hurt in the preseason game. Then I've never seen more injuries to a team in my 41-year career. Everybody was getting hurt. Mm -hmm. But the job that they did, you think about it, they were one and seven at one point, and then you end up seven and nine. Right. The players didn't quit on the coaches. The coaches didn't quit on the players. And more importantly, the coaches didn't quit on the coaches. So <laughs> I think that this is a, a good season to evaluate a new beginning. Last year wasn't a new beginning for Adam Gase. I mean, he's been a head coach before. But, you know, this has been a whole new coaching staff form that he brought in. I thought Greg Williams did a tremendous job last year with the defense. He was putting players in the right position to make the big plays. You look at the season that Jamal Adams had, I don't think that I've seen a strong safety have a, se a season like that in a long time. Mm -hmm. But you moved him up to the line of scrimmage and you said, hey, go get the quarterback, and that's what he did. But – you can't always do that. You can't blitz. You need an edge rusher. You need somebody that says, hey, you know what? I want to be like Joe Klecko. Match me up one-on-one -on -one and I can beat you, you know, seven out of ten times. Match me up on a double team and I can still win three out of ten times. You need one of those guys up front to be the man. And you know what? You got Steve McClendon up there. You talk about a guy that is good in the locker room. He's good in the field, and he's a role model for a lot of these young players. I think you're going to have two tight ends next year, one in Ryan Griffin, who, you know what, was having a tremendous year until he got hurt. Mm 
I got to know him uh, by taking a trip with him and his wife for a couple of days, and he's just excited to get back. And then the wild card could be Chris Herndon. There's a guy with a lot of athletic ability, keeps himself out of trouble, and he can keep himself healthy. You know what? When you have a good tight end, you're going to make those safeties play off the line of scrimmage, and the middle of the field could come open to you. That's so true right there, man. You know, the Jets have depth. The question is, is can they can they all stay healthy during the during the season? And it's, you know, being, being the season ticket holders, watching this team play, it's like year in and year out, Marty. You, you commentate the games. You see it all the time. They're right there. They're legitimately right there, but just due to circumstances with injuries and such, 4-12 and 12 in 2018, 7-9 and nine this year, you know, this past year, many Jeff fans are expecting at least some sort of growth. And, you know, you look at this team, and with everybody in New York right now, in the media, nobody's really talking about Sam Darno that much. I want you to, if that's possible, if you could just give us uh, – an idea or an inkling about who Sam Darno is as a player. I got to know Sam pretty good last year, and I like Sam. I think he has a good, uh, he a good work habits. He's a good leader. He controls the huddle. You know what happened to him last year? Getting mono. You know, you could say that could happen to anybody, but it, it happened to to him, and it happened to the quarterback. But I think that he has he has that it factor. But this is his third year. Mm-hmm. And for me to say it, it's one thing, but he's got to go out there and prove it. And I think that you put the players around him um, and everything starts to become contagious. You know, you take that, ad- the adrenaline and the emotions of the game, and it's very contagious. I think the big question is uh, how will these teams adapt, you know, to this coronavirus and all the shutdown? What are they doing to build the chemistry? What are they doing to build that continuity between that offensive line? You know, you can only do so much, you know, online or through Zoom. And, you know, you got to get out there. you got to see the action live. I think, honestly, I think the preseason games uh, have somewhat put the NFL you know, behind the eight ball in week one of the football season because a lot of players don't play anymore. You don't play in the first preseason game. You might play a little in the second. The fourth preseason game is is a waste of time except for the guys that are on the bubble that have a chance to make the team uh, on special teams, but there's no starters playing. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to throw the switch up and now it's the real season. Well, when I was playing, not to say that it was the right way, but, you know, all the starters played one quarter the first preseason, a half the second preseason, three quarters the third preseason, and our last preseason game was always against the Giants. So you used to play like, you know, almost three and a half quarters. So you got yourself into football shape with the guys that were going to play alongside of you. But now the players don't play that much. And with the restriction on the how much time you can practice, again, that's why you see a lot of missed tackles to start the season. You see a lot of plays that are broken, a lot of broken coverage, a lot of breakdown. And as a result, if you can start the season fast, you've got a pretty good chance. 
But if you start the season one and three or 0 and four, by the halfway point, the best you can be is 500. And, you know, being in the AFC East with Tom Brady, who's no longer here, you know, but you got the Buffalo Bills coming on. You got the Miami Dolphins rebuilding, and you still have Bill Belichick up there with the New England. So don't look outside, look inside and realize what you have and then build your team and make sure your team understands that, hey, you know what, doesn't matter who we're playing, we're going to go out there and win. That's very true, Marty. Marty, my last question for you is, I know you have a lot, so this may be an unfair uh, question, but in 41 years with the team, is there a favorite or two memory-wise that those are like your top two favorite uh, uh, memories uh, with the, uh, with the uh, team? Well, you know, Sean, I think, first of all, you got to remember the good times. You got to remember the sack exchange. That was a that was a special moment in our lives when we went down to the New York Stock Exchange and it closed down and we took all the photos there. You know, certainly, you know, it was a pleasure to play in the AFC Championship game and, you know, to be 60 minutes away from going to the Super Bowl and you, you come up short. And, you know, you remember that. You remember losing in double overtime. And the sad part about it is we always got that little pat on the ass and said, hey, don't worry, we'll get them next year. And unfortunately for me, I ran out of next year. So it never came. <laughs> but I don't regret anything that ever happened. I, I think the friendships that I've built through 12 years of being with the Jets and the respect that I built with the fans and respect that I have for the fans. You know, they accepted me in 1979 as their number one draft choice out of the University of Alabama. They didn't know me, but they accepted me and I built a, a house up here and it's a home up here and I've been here ever since. And it was just my way of telling the fans, thank you. Thank you for making me who I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Marty, my final question for you is you've been up in the broadcast booth now and you're 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 a legend in the broadcast booth. Every time I get I get to hear you, my first memory of you is in the broadcast booth broadcasting uh, jet games with Bob Wachusen. What's it like broadcasting games with Bob and what's your favorite? I know you mentioned the early times in your career with being a jet player. What's it what's your favorite memory being a jet broadcaster? Well, I tell you, first I would have to go back. I, I had the pleasure of doing uh, Jet Journal for eight to 10 years. And I got to interview and got to know all the coaches. And you, you work with coaches like Bill Parcells. And I would have loved to have played for Bill because Bill would take a good player, make him great, a great player, make him a superstar. He had that ability to motivate 53 men into one unit. I would have loved to have been able to work longer with Herm Edwards. Herm, Herm was the best. You sit down for a meeting with Herm and you ask him a question, he'd kick his feet up on the desk and say, come on, coach, you know that answer. And he would give us everything that we would need to make our broadcast better on Sunday. And we would know that there would be a fine line on what we could use and what we couldn't use, but he gave us everything. And then, of course, you know, you, you look at Rex Ryan. Those were great years when they went to back-to-back -back AFC championship game. And Rex is one of a kind. You know what? When Rex came in, he gave the team an identity, and it was his. 
he said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take all the media pressure and I'm going to put it on me. And you know what, Rex is good at that. He loves it. But he had an offensive line. He had a running game. He had a defense. They kept it simple for Mark Sanchez. And they went to back-to-back AFC championship games. Unfortunately, you know, they lost both. And then to have guys working with a guy, you know, like Bob was choosing up there in the booth. It, Bob's a pleasure. I didn't know Bob 19 years ago, and this is our 19th year together. But to get to know him, get to love him, get to respect him, get to know his family, it's almost like we know what each other is going to say. And, you know, the, the whole key is when you're broadcasting is, for me, you know, as an analyst, why did it work? Why didn't it work? That's what I have to do. And he's calling play by play, but I have got to know that, you know what, I've got a limited window to get in and out. Otherwise, Bob is going to step on me, <laughs> you know, and he'll keep going. <laughs> right. And, you know, for Bob to be able to do what he's doing for ESPN and college football and then he flies in and he does the jet games, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's great when you have a great deal of respect for the people that you work with. Right. Because then you come out as one you know, as, a, as one unit and a one team. It's not two individuals. It's like you and Sean working together. You guys work hand in hand, back and forth. You know, you know how to work with each other. And that's why this podcast works. Because you know what? Nobody's stepping on one another. There's nobody trying to be the best because you both have an individual role to play. And that's why the broad sportscast is pretty damn good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Marty, thank, thank you so much, man. That really means a lot. And, you know, we, we appreciate the kind words from, from, of all people from you, you're a legend, you know, me being a Jeff. No, I'm not a, Bill, I'm not a legend. I'm just a person that was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time. I don't like to use those words like legends or celebrities because you know what? Hell, if I let my beard grow, I'd look like Sean. If I had on the top of my head, I'd look like you. So <laughs> we all got something in common. Yeah. Marty, you're you're so right on. You're so I love it. That's what makes you so unique and great, you know. So Marty, actually I actually do have one more question. I know we're limited on time, everything like that. But with the NFL season now going and adding an extra playoff team and the CBA uh, obviously changing, what what does that mean? You're a former player. Uh, what does that mean for, for the players now that are going to be going in and having this extra playoff uh, playoff seed and, you know, with everything new going on in the CBA? Well, number one, it means that you really want to have the best record in your conference because you get a buy. Mm-hmm. Number two, it means one more team will have an opportunity to make it to the playoffs. So you're just one step closer to making it to the Super Bowl. But it'll be very interesting, I tell you, to see what happens with Major League Baseball. How, how and when are they going to start up? What's going to happen to the NBA? What's going to happen to hockey? And, and if this coronavirus continues to go on, what will Roger Goodell do to the NFL season? Will he shorten it? Will he shorten the preseason game? Who knows? But again, I think that uh, we go back to the very first question, you know, sports have been an escape for every one of us to sit there 
channel surf and go from a hockey game to a football game to a basketball game. Uh, it's our way of escaping, but there's a bigger issue out there that everybody should be concerned about, and that is the health and well-being of all these people that are dying. You know, we've got to get this under control because, you know, you want to protect tomorrow's future, and that's the children that we have. That's the grandchildren. But we also want to protect the history of this nation by protecting the elderly. It's so important that, you know what, when you ever go into a nursing home and you sit to, and talk to some of the elderly, or if you're fortunate enough, if your parents are still alive, and they start to set and solve, I remember when. And they reflect on their memories. Certainly for the three of us and everybody listening to this podcast, there will come a time in our life that we'll be sitting now talking to our children or our grandchildren, and we'll reflect back and say, I remember in 2020, when we had this thing called the coronavirus, it took so many people's lives and we were locked in our houses for X amount of weeks. And this is what we did. So, you know, we too will be able to reflect, but it won't be reflecting on a good time. It's like a, a flashback to, you know, 9-11 and the devastation that New York went through and the nation went through. You know, we pulled our uh, boots up, we made it through it. I think we're gonna make it through this one. It might just be, it might just take us a little longer. Absolutely. Marty, you said it the best right there. True words were never spoken, man. And you know, we just want to say, Sean and I want to say thank you for coming on to the On the Board Sports podcast and sacrificing some time to come on and talk with us. So thank you. I know it's it's rough, it's rough out there, but just thank you again. Really means a lot. Thank you, buddy. Thank oh, you so much. My, my pleasure, man. It's great talking to you guys anytime. You know what, Bill? I want to tell you, you need a haircut. I want to tell old Sean. Sean, I don't know what kind of drive throughs you've been going through, but man, when this is all over, I'm going to get you a gym membership. Thank you, Marty. I, Marty, man, I need that in the worst way. Gym, a stylist. The works, man. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It ain't, it ain't the outside that makes the man. It's the inside. You're doing well. And you Thank keep you so doing much. what you're doing. You know, well, you we so appreciate much. it. You keep doing it, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marty. Thank you again. It means a lot. Can't, I would love to meet you in person one day, man. You, you're an awesome dude. Thank you again for coming. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. When this is all said and done, I'll take you and Sean out to dinner. We'll reminisce <laughs> on some stories. You guys, let, let me pick the place. Uh, I'll pick the place where we can go because I'm looking at Sean. <laughs> Sean, we ain't going to a buffet, my friend. <laughs> We're with you. You know, Sean, you, you know, Sean, I'm just kidding you, man. I love you. Of course, of course, of course, Marty. Thank you so much. <laughs> Okay. Marty, thank you, man. you thank guys you. stay well. You too. All right, buddy. You. I see you. All right. You again. It's the one and only Marty Lyons, Jet analyst, former New York Jet. Great. Sean, great episode, bud. Great. That was amazing, Will. That was amazing, man. Marty is great, man. And you know what I'm saying? And, and the great work that he does. On the field is matched by the great work that he does and he'll continue to do off the field. So that was awesome, man. That was great. Absolutely. And you know what? Hey, Marty does a great job off the field as well with the Marty Lions Foundation. So 
we're just thankful to have a, a person like him in this world because there's there's true we need people like marty you know so marty's yeah. a great great guy uh just want to give a quick shout out though again not only to the essential workers out there but to you know a friend of mine her birthday's tomorrow april 15th uh laura martinowski uh she's gonna be 30 just wanted to give her a quick shout out good friend of the show everything like that uh you know just a great person overall and yeah we're just happy to you know just wanted to wish her a happy birthday you know and sean dude i know it's crazy what's going on in the world right now but i'm just thankful to have you as a partner man and you know marty echoed the words you know that we never step on each other's toes and you know in the two years that we've done this podcast i just you know i know you went through a lot i just wanted to just tell you you know, thank you for just being who you are. And, you know, I know that we all have our ups and our downs, especially myself. And, you know, we're all human here. All this, but I just want to say thank you for just being who you are. So, you know, you're, you're truly a great man. And don't, don't ever, uh, you know, just don't ever change who you are. I appreciate that, Will. And, uh, and uh, well, you know what, man, uh, uh, me and you can only dream to be, doing this for you know uh 17 years 18 years 19 years like he said 19 years ago he didn't know bob and this is going to be their 19th season calling jet games well that's crazy that's right so many so many memories with uh with listening to the jet games as well so you know once again shout out to marty lyons thank you for coming on and talking jets football with us and you know what you're doing with the Marty Lyons Foundation, along with, uh, you know, what's going on in the world right now. It's just absolutely nuts. And Sean, my co-host, my wonderful partner, thank you so much for, you know, sacrificing some time. And that's it. All right. I appreciate you, bud. We'll talk All to right, you pal. soon. I am your host, Will Trucci, logging off. We will talk to you guys soon. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay safe out there. And God bless all of you guys. Peace out.